cool. Obadiah, if you want to go to Obadiah chapter 1, or Obadiah 1, because there's only one chapter. So um, if you're just joining us, we are studying through the books of the Bible. I got bogged down in some narratives in First and Second Kings and Chronicles, I did several weeks on those, but I've tried to stick to one book a week now. And Stephen was looking at the calendar the other day and trying to figure out when we're going to get to the New Testament. I said, don't, 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 don't jinx me. I don't believe in it, but don't jinx me. Uh, but anyway, uh, as you see on your sheet, there are some handouts on the tables uh, for you to pass around. We got one chapter. We got 21 verses. We got 669 words. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. And uh, third, John is the shortest book in the New Testament. And uh, Obadiah 1.1 1, 1 says the vision of Obadiah. And that's all we get about him. <laughs> Um, Obadiah is the author. It says the vision of Obadiah, but we don't really know anything about the author. There's other Obadiahs mentioned in the book of Ob- in the Bible. We don't know if that's anybody that's like this Obadiah, but uh, we kind of he's kind of dated somewhere around 587 to 580 BC, somewhere in there. You can date the book um, if you're looking for a date. Again, those dates are temporal. Um, his name means, <clears throat> let me write this down. His name means uh, a servant of the Lord or a worshiper of the Lord or serving Jehovah. That's what his name means. And if you're looking for a timeline, like where do you place this? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you look at verse 10 to 14, which I'm not going to read right now, but if you just want to read while I'm talking, verses 10 to 14. The book is really describing the fall of Jerusalem and the events thereafter. So the fall of Jerusalem is talked about or mentioned in 2 Chronicles 36, but this is giving you some new light on what was going on when Jerusalem fell. How did Edom respond? How did they act towards the children of Israel? Now, historically, historically, this book historically is about the return of Nebuchadnezzar after his attack on Jerusalem. That's where we are. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, has pillaged Jerusalem. He's burnt the temple, and now he's heading to Egypt. Now, in Jeremiah 43, if you're taking notes or making mental notes, in Jeremiah 43, Nebuchadnezzar goes through Edom, on his way to Egypt. All right? And um, in, uh, in Obadiah 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord, concerning Edom. So this whole book is about Edom. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau, sometimes called the Idumeans in the New Testament. All right? And uh, if you see uh, Obadiah 1, it says, and in Jeremiah, I should say this, in Jeremiah 49, I'm not going to turn there yet, verse 22, it, it says that when Nebuchadnezzar was going down to Egypt through Edom, he captured Edom. So he's, he's destroying Edom as he's going through it on his way to Egypt. You learn that by looking in the book of Jeremiah. So Obadiah 1, let's look at it again. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. 
Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. So there's some kind of rumor going around about the destruction concerning Edom. Let's go see what that rumor is. Let's go to Jeremiah 49 now. Let's go see what's being talked about. What, what are the rumors that are flying around about what's going on in Edom? Jeremiah 49, take it from verse 7. Now, a lot of these words are going to sound the same, and skeptics will say, oh, look, it was the same author, but that's because they're stupid, right? It's just it's the same author, not the guys down here, but the God up there, right? That was the same author, right? So that's why, you, that's why Mark can say something that Matthew did, not because they were copying each other. It's because the same Holy Spirit is inspiring the words, right? That was easy, okay? Uh, Jeremiah 49, 7, all right? Concerning Edom, see that? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? That was a city in Edom. Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell deep, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bling, bring, bling, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time that I will visit him. Jump to verse 13. For I have sworn by myself, can't swear by any higher, saith the Lord, that Bozra, that's in Edom, shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be a perpetual waste. I have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent unto the heathen, saying, Gather ye together and come against her, and rise up to the battle, for lo, I will make thee small among the heathen, and despised among men. Thy terribleness hath deceived thee, and the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, that holdest the height of the hill. Though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord. Also Edom shall be a desolation. Everyone that goeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. So there's the rumor. The rumor that God is propagating about this judgment that He's bringing upon Edom. Now remember, the Edomites, remember? Jacob and Esau, right? The Edomites are descendants of, the Edomites are descendants of Esau, Right? And all throughout your Bible, the Edomites are sometimes called, you'll see this in the New Testament, right? You'll see this word, the Edomaeans, right? Right? That's another name for this group of people. Uh, a little bit of trying to learn you something. And, and they're the descendants of Esau. They were bitter. They were resentful people, right? They are basically, they are at war with Israel almost perpetually. They have been in the past. They will be in the future. They are now. The Edomites are alive now. Nobody calls them Edomites, but they're there, right around Jordan and that area over there. That's, that's where modern-day Edom is, and there's plenty of Edomites right next to Israel looking to see her perish again, and the judgment fell on them then, and the judgment's going to fall on them again. And so that gives you a little bit of a preview. Go to Psalm 137. I'll show you something here. Let me show you what's really particularly nasty about these Edomites. I know it's a little bit of learning here. But to quote Mark Twain, never let your schooling interfere with your education. All right? So just make sure you get the spiritual nuggets here. I'm not trying to just drown you in book smarts. Just get, we'll get to the doctrinal stuff in a second, and then I'll, we'll wallop each other at the end. But Psalm 137 is a prophecy of, of Nebuchadnezzar taking Jerusalem. Look at Psalm 137.7. 
this, this, the psalmist is saying, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, meaning when Jerusalem was being pillaged and ransacked, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Hey, God, don't forget that when, you see the next verse is, O daughter of Babylon, (laughs) right? Remember when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem? The Edomites stood by and they were rejoicing and they were cheering and they were like, yeah, let's see them get, let's see Israel get hers. Burn it to the ground. That's happening now. There's people that want to push Israel into the sea. I quoted a few weeks ago, there's marches that go on in Iran right now where they chant death to America and death to Israel. I mean, the Bible's a real book, right? There's people that want to see that little nation about the size of New Jersey obliterated. You see, why do you keep talking about Israel? Because that's who most of the Bible's about. (laughs) I'm sorry it's not about you. I'll plug you in here, but it's not about you. It's about a little nation called Israel and God's kingdom that he's working out to that group of people. So... When Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, Edom rejoiced and even joined in the plunder. We'll see that in the book of Obadiah. Now jump back to Obadiah, verse number 2. All right? Look what he says to them now. This is God now speaking to, to the Edomites. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, Thou art greatly despised. See that? God takes this, this, this fierce people and he reduces them to this weak people group. And by the time we get to the first coming of Christ, they're really not a bunch, they're a bunch of nobodies. Right? They're not really doing any damage. They're not taking anybody over. They're reduced to really nothing. All right? Even in history, we learn from history that after the Jews return to their land, Cyrus, king of Persia, slaughters thousands of Edomites. And if you read the apocryphal books, which are in Scripture, but they've got some history in them, uh, the Edomites receive another crushing defeat under the Maccabees, which is that group of freedom fighters of the Jews that it's not Scripture, but it did happen, and they also defeated the Edomites. So that's, uh, they, they, got, they got their lumps, so to speak. So that's the historical application. Let's talk doctrinal. Go to Isaiah 34. Doctrinally, so historically this did happen in the past. Nebuchadnezzar came through Edom, whacked them, right? Doctrinally, in the future, God's going to whack them again at the second coming of Christ. There's a judgment upon Edom and those people at the second coming of Christ. Look at Isaiah 34, verse 1. Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world, and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and His fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Wow. Didn't see that in my last Christian movie. Verse number four. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, because he judges those angels. And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. Watch it. God speaking. From my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Right? Because he's judging the heavens as well. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea. 
and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah. Remember that word from Jeremiah? That's that city of Edom, right? And a great slaughter in the land of Edomea. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls in their land shall be soaked with blood. I'm trying to find a nice devotional application, right? And their dust made fat with fatness, for watch it now, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. So, at the second coming of Christ, Jesus Christ is going to judge those Edomites. Why? For the controversy of Zion. Because those guys have really tried to stop Zion from happening and threatened death to anybody that believed that God was going to establish something or Israel was going to get that land. He says, for that that controversy is not a controversy with God. That land, that, that is going to be deliverance in Mount Zion, right? It's not a controversy with God, but these guys want to make it a controversy. God says, you made it a controversy? Your UN secret security councils and all that gas? God says, I'm coming down and I'm going to level your land with blood. Wow. And as he did it in the past, under Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus Christ will judge those nations for their treatment of Israel. And brethren, lest there be an anti-Semitic note in our song, one of the major messages of the book are be careful that you don't hate or harm the Jews. Especially Bible-believing Christians. We should be the last people laughing at a joke about a Jew or talking bad about a Jew or just, you know, even using that word in a derogatory tone. We're supposed to be a blessing to those people. We're dogs that are getting their crumbs. We're supposed to provoke them to jealousy. And we're the only hope they have to ever know who Jesus Christ is. And we should never be a stumbling block to them. Though they may spit in your face and call you all kinds of words, you just, you take it for Jesus Christ. You take it for Him. All right? Uh, Spiritually, like a spiritual connection to the book? Well, Esau, you know, if you want a spiritual application, Esau represents spiritually the carnal Christian. So, the man of the earth, the man of the field, right? And that's who some of us become like sometimes. So, um, the things we're going to say about Esau, you could easily say, well, this could be said of a carnal Christian. And that's how you get a spiritual application. Verse number 15 in your book of Obadiah, I'll go back to Obadiah, I'm sorry, go back to Obadiah 1, or Obadiah, whichever one you want to call it. We okay so far? Amen. Great. All right. Um, the key verse of the book is verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Woo! <laughs> Blew the mic out. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. That's, uh, let me translate. You're going to get yours. <laughs> that's that's kind of like, like what he's saying here. It's kind of like saying you reap what you sow, right? Um, that's a key verse, key verse there. Key message of the book, as you see on your paper, a sober warning against pride, and the perils of harming God's people. And Jesus Christ is pictured as the coming judge, specifically the judge of Israel's enemies. Right? So the breakdown is pretty simple, as you see on your book. 1 to 16, the doom of the proud. It's about Esau, the earthly. 
17 to 21. These are good to write in your Bible if you have a wide margin Bible. Uh, I recommend if you, you should get one if you want to really study your Bible. But you should write these things down there because I don't remember all this stuff. I have this stuff written down in the books in my Bible. So I look like I'm really smart when I open up to Amos and say, what's Amos about? What are the key verses? I have them written down in the Bible. I learned that from Bob Alexander. It's not original with me. You write them down in your Bible and your Bible becomes your study Bible and it's yours and you, you, you hold on to it. Um, and 1721 is the deliverance of the meek. It's about Jacob the spiritual. So Esau the carnal, the earthly, Jacob the spiritual. Right? So what we're going to do now, because the book is short, we're going to kind of chalk talk it. We're going to kind of just walk through it verse at a time and just pick some things out because it's only 21 verses. So uh, let's jump in here in uh, verses 1 to 9. Let me do this. We're going to break it down as we walk through it. Verses 1 to 9, let's talk about in verses 1 to 9, Edom's humiliation. Okay? Let's look at some of this. Let's look at verse, we read verse 1, we read verse 2, let's look at verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground. Please remember that Edom dwelt in an impregnable, uh, let's say this three times fast, an impregnable or impenetrable city called Petra. It was a great rock city. It's kind of like where the remnant will hide during the tribulation, Sila Petra. Right? They dwelt in this great rock city in the clefts of the rock. You could see pictures of Petra. You could Google it and see these these little caves and these little holes built into this rock wall, this rock city, and they thought, who's going to mess with us? I mean, we're, we're insulated and, and, and you know, protected against everything. And in verse 4, look what the Lord says, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, very important phrase, as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, Thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. So Edom thought they were impregnable, but Edom is going to be dragged out of their refuge and cast to the ground. You know anybody else that exalted himself really high that was cast to the ground? Right? Right? Good old Lucifer, right? Good old Lucifer. Edom thought he was as mighty as Babylon. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, you think you're as strong as Babylon. Ezekiel 17 says that Babylon is a great eagle, okay? He says, you think you're as strong as Babylon, they're going to crush you. You rejoiced when they destroyed my people, now they're going to come back like a hammer, and they're going to destroy you. As thou hast done, so shall it return upon thy head, right? Um, Interesting about that eagle. Just, Just some food for consumption. Babylon align themselves. God said they're like an eagle. Another ancient civilization aligned itself with an eagle. Ancient Rome, right? Rome adopted the symbol of the eagle to, to epitomize their empire's strength and immortality. Somebody else did too. Germany did too, right? Uh, the Nazis followed ancient Rome with the Reichslander, right? You ever seen that German eagle? Right, that uh, the imperial eagle of the Germans. Just throwing this out there. You know of another nation that adopted the eagle? You just think about that for the rest of your life. 
I don't know what that all means. I just say it, I sound smart. But I mean, just interesting. If we let the Bible, if we let the Bible define symbols, and he lines the eagle up with Babylon, and then Rome takes it, and Germany takes it, I don't know. I wouldn't take it. I'd go with what Ben Franklin said. He wanted to make the turkey the national bird. Would have been better. Tastes better, too. All right, just, just interesting. Just, let's look at verse. I'm not saying anything, I'm not, but I'm just saying it's just very interesting, as the good doctor would say. All right? Verse number five. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? Edom is going to be spoiled. Things are going to be taken from Edom. But not by thieves. He says it's not going to be thieves that come, but the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And they're going to lose some things. Some things are going to get taken from them. And when Jesus Christ returns, Esau will be spoiled for his treatment of Israel. Verse number seven. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound unto thee. There is none understanding in him. Listen, the neighboring nations that covenanted with Edom will one day turn on him. All those other alliances that he made, those confederacies that he made, those, those, those you know, camaraderies that he's made with people against Israel, guess what? He says, they're going to turn on you, Edom. Verse 8. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? The noted wisdom of Edom's counsels will be destroyed in that day. What is in that day all about, class? Second coming. At the second coming, verse number 9, then we finish this part. And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. The strength of Edom would also be gone when judgment comes. You see, why is he doing to this? Why is he doing this to Edom? What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 18? For every one that exalted himself shall be abased. You lift yourself up, God's going to put you down. You put yourself down, God's going to lift you up. The way up is down. The way down is up. Right? That's how you do it. And he says in verse number four, you're exalting thyself as the eagle. I'm going to bring you down. And verse after verse after verse, Jesus warned us, Proverbs warned us, if you exalt yourself, lift yourself up, you get the kibosh. Right? Let's look at the second section, verses 10 to 14, all right? Verses 10 to 14 give us Edom's crime, and that's quite a humiliation. What did Edom do? Let's look at it. Edom's crime. Note the telling description of Edom's sin. Verse number 10, for thy violence against thy brother, Jacob. Shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Violence against his brother Jacob. Esau and Jacob are brothers. And he exercised violence towards his brother. Didn't First John say that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer? Esau hated his brother. Esau said, raise it, raise it, kill him, kill him, God said. As you've done, so it's going to return upon your head, Edom. 
because you hated your brother, your violence against your brother. Verse 11, watch this. In the day, now watch, just picture this now. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, there's a little bit of a divide there, and they're watching the burning city. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, meaning Israel's forces, carried away captive, and foreigners entered into his gates, meaning Jacob's gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. You refused to help your brother while enemies attacked. You were doing, you were just as bad as Babylon. You stood idly by while these people came, these foreigners, and destroyed your brother. Jacob and Esau are brothers, and you watched your brother get pillaged and destroyed and just stood there. He goes, you're as bad as Babylon, Edom. Proverbs 20, look at verse 12. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger, right? Because Israel lost their land, right? Neither shouldest thou have, watch it, rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Esau didn't just have violence and refuse to help. Esau actually rejoiced at Jacob's calamity. You take that in? Do you know what Nebuchadnezzar did to Jerusalem? He didn't just burn a building down. What does Proverbs 24 tell us? Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. That's a principle of the Bible. You're not supposed to say, oh, get him, God, get him. No, you're supposed to pray for that person, pray for enemies, bless them that curse you. God will sort it out, but it's not supposed to be you to be rejoicing over an enemy falling, but they are sitting there cheering and chanting and clapping their hands and probably having death to Israel marches in their streets. And he said, you know what he was rejoicing in? You know what was going on in, in Jerusalem. He was rejoicing in seeing staked prisoners, because that's what the Babylonians did to them, put stuck people on a stake. Yeah, that's what they're cheering about. Ravished women, that's what they did to them. You read Lamentations, you read the end of Jeremiah, that's what happened, and they're rejoicing over that. They're rejoicing over starving children in the streets. Read Lamentations. The women were boiling their kids. They were so famished for food, and they're cheering this on. You see why God's taking notice? You see why God's got a special book set aside where he says, Hey, Edom, you're going to get yours, Edom. In my time, you're going to get yours. You think all these people and all these generations, and I'm not just saying Hitler and the, and the Germans. I'm talking about the Russians, the Tsars. I'm talking about people all over throughout history that have persecuted those people, rejoiced at their downfall, tried to wipe them off. You think God's dumb? Do we think God's some, you know, drunk schmo in the sky somewhere and he's just like, hey, let's just save everybody. No, one day he's going to be like, that's it. As you have done, so it shall return upon your head. And all those people that have wished death to Israel, death to Israel, if they don't get saved, they're going to taste death. They're going to taste death. Look at verse 13. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Esau took part in the looting of Jerusalem. When they saw the smoke, they went there to get the stuff. Now, 
Think about it. Remember old man Job. Job was suffering affliction. Remember what, what his friends did? His friends were not too far from this land. And his so-called friends came in there and just passed judgment on him, passed judgment on him, persecuted him with his words, persecuted him with his words. And at the end of the book of Job, God kind of rebukes the friends and says, you're going to be okay, Job's praying for you. But that's a great picture of Israel. Because there's some people from that area that have seen Israel in her affliction and they've rejoiced over it and they've persecuted her with, her with their words and God says, I've got a rebuke for you guys. You think about it. The picture is pretty clear. Verse 14. Now watch this again. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Esau didn't just rejoice. Esau didn't just uh, pillage them. Esau blocked Jews trying to escape and actually handed some of them over to the enemy. That's what it says. I could read English, right? And that's what it says, right? That's what it says right there. And if you study history, that's what went on. And if you study even modern history, How many nations turned away Jews during the Holocaust? Canada, Switzerland, the United God Bless You America, States of America did. We sent away ships of them. FDR turned away ships of them. Said, we can't take them. They might be German spies on that boat. And you think God's just, you know, (laughs) you know, deaf, blind, and stupid. Right? He's got that all worked out. He says, I, I know what other people have done to my people. Let's look at the last section now. There's a great little book out called, uh, how is it called? As America Has Done to Israel. Yeah. Anybody read that book? I've read that book. It's a good, As America, I think it's called, right? Is that what it's called? As America's, no, no, no. It's a book. It's about this thick. A little book, I know, it's a little, I'm a nerd, a little book. Right? As America Has Done to Israel, something like that. And it just traces all the calamities that have come across our country that have lined up with something we did that kind of stuck a thumb in God's nation. There's something to that. Something definitely to that. I'm not saying they're all wonderful people. I'm not saying they're all, you know, um, loving, Christ-fearing people. Most of them are not. But God says, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them and curse thee. That's what God said. When you honor God's program, you're honoring God. It's like God, God doesn't want you to Love that Orthodox Jew who spit in your face when, you know, he doesn't want you to just, love. I love that. Thank you. Give me more. You know, thank you, sir. May I have another? You know, the fact that they degrade you like that, they call you the names they call you. But as you honor them and have patience with them, you're honoring God who said, that nation is my nation. Oh, I know it bothers your pride. Because that's why I'm saying it. Because it bothers my pride. Because I want to give it to them too. You know. But I don't want to join in with that number. And uh, Edom's doom is this last little part. Edom's doom. You're awfully quiet tonight. Maybe Obadiah got the better of you. All right? Um, Or I'm not making any sense. Both could be possible. Or you're sitting there going, how long is this going to take if he's going verse by verse? All right? Uh, Edom's doom, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. You see, the day of the Lord is not for you, church. (laughs) It's upon the heathen. 
It's a judgment against the heathen, a purifying fire for Israel. It doesn't really have much to do with us. We're coming back in that day. We're not getting, we're not, we're behind him in that day. We're not in front of him in that day. If you're in front of him in that day, you're about to get whacked. If you're behind him in that day, you get to join in the whacking, which is what I'm looking forward to, all right? But 15, he says, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. You reap what you sow. There's some preaching for you. There is a spiritual law of God. You know, there's laws in the Bible. The law of sowing and reaping is one of them. There it is right there. Here's a great illustration of the law of sowing and reaping. Hey, Esau, as you've done, so you're going to get it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Esau sowed some violence. He's going to get violence return upon his head, right? Psalm 68, verse 21, if you're taking notes, says, God shall wound the head of his enemies. And this says, it's going to return upon your own head. Psalm 68, 21, he says, I'm going to wound the head of the enemies. Psalm 7, 16, he says, speaking about the evil man, says, his mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. The pate is the top of your head. You see verse number, what was it, verse 10? For thy violence against thy brother Jacob. It's coming back to get him. Verse 16. This is interesting. Watch this. Because the Edomites are primarily Islamic peoples now. Okay, that's not hate speech. That's just geography. Those people that are largely make up the Edomites would be people that are of uh, followers of Muhammad. Look at 16 with that in mind. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. They shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. Could it be, uh, could it be this is an allusion to some Islamic Edomites drinking on the Temple Mount, enjoying the Temple Mount, just feasting on the Temple Mount and God says, you want to drink your cup on my mountain? Guess what? You're going to drink my cup. You know what God's cup is? Revelation 14. It's not a cup you want to drink. It's called the cup of his indignation. He says, you want to have your cup? You want to keep my people off my mount? We know how it goes. Eli's been there. Some of you have been there. You got to like walk on tiptoes. You can't even go in there anymore. The wrong person goes in the temple mount. Everybody raises Cain and goes crazy, right? But they want to say that's their mount? God says, that's my mountain. And you put your dome there? You said that's your mountain? You threaten people? You threaten violence? Because... If my people want to go up there, you drink on my mountain, you'll get my cup. you get my cup. You want to drink a cup? God says, I got a cup for you. Revelation 14 says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, the cup of his indignation. Mm. 17. But upon, and I'll keep reading, but, uh, but upon Mount Zion, amen, here we go, shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their, meaning Esau's, possessions. There is deliverance, there's sanctification, sanctification and enrichment for the house of Jacob. Hallelujah, the house of Jacob will be delivered. I like that it says the house of Jacob. It doesn't say the house of Israel. Because you know why? Because Jacob was the weak one. Jacob was the one that walked with a limp. 
And God's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Israel, but I'm glad he's the God of Jacob. I'm glad in that day, he says, the house of Jacob, the weak one, the one that couldn't stand in his own strength. That one is the one I'm going to deliver. Because when Israel, because later in his life, after he wrestles with God, old man Jacob never walks the same. He's much more a humble man, Jacob. He was the supplanter, and then God changes his name, and he becomes Israel, but he still walks very differently. That's a picture of Israel wrestling with God in the tribulation and seeing her weakness, seeing her frailty, and then calling on God in distress, and then God delivers the house of Jacob, the weak one the one that wrestled with God, the one that has a limp, the one that has no strength to stand against all these enemies on her own. In the Bible, amazing book. All these little, that's what fascinates me. All the little fibers. I mean, the human body is skeleton's fun to look at. I got a lady that teaches across the hall for me. She teaches forensic science. She's got a skeleton. And you see the hip bones connected to the thigh bone and the thigh bones connected to the, whatever, leg bone, right, all that stuff. (laughs) But when you really see like all the fibers and the tissues and the tendons, I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing the human body is. And the Bible, it's nice to know the Romans road. I'm glad you know John 3.16. But when you start to see how Obadiah lines up with Jeremiah, lines up with Isaiah, crosses back over to, you know, uh, Revelation, swings back around to the book of Nahum. You know, when you start to see these little fibers connecting, you know what that makes you just want to stand in awe of God's holy word. At least it should. Where am I? What verse am I on? Uh, 18. 18. The lady in the back is right. 18. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them, meaning Jacob and Joseph shall kindle in them, and devour them, meaning Esau, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken. So the house of Jacob somehow becomes an instrument of Edom's destruction. Keep going, verse 19. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain, the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Verse 20, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharhad, shall possess the cities of the south. Brethren, the house of Jacob will possess the land of Edom. They're going to get it. Go to Psalm chapter 60. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Sixty. In a hurry. Psalm 60, verse number 8. Ready? Moab is my wash, God speaking. Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia triumphed out because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? He says, Over Edom. Will I cast out my shoe? God does not redeem Edom and gives Edom to his people. You ever read over there in the book of Ruth when they go to that guy to try to redeem Ruth before Boaz can? And he's like, I can't redeem it. And they take off his shoe and they say, This was a custom in Israel that when a guy wasn't going to redeem something, he took off his shoe. He says, Over Edom 
will I cast out my shoe. He says, I'm not taking Edom for my inheritance. I'm not redeeming Edom. I'm not saving Edom. That I'm enjoying the blessings with Israel. I'll redeem Israel, but I've rejected Edom. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. He's not taking them. Look at Psalm 108. He says the, almost, the same thing almost in Psalm 108. I'm just letting the Bible speak here, just trying to match verses up here. Uh, Psalm 108, verse number, how about 9? Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. Hello. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, who hast cast us off? That's Israel speaking now, right? Because Israel is cast off. If you really want to get nitty-gritty, Israel's cast off. And then God wipes these Edomites out, and it looks like Israel gets to run into their strong city and hide themselves there in Selah till that indignation of the Antichrist death is overpassed. But that's little deep waters, but that's kind of what it looks like is really, really going on. Who will bring me into the strong city? That's, that's, that's the psalmist writing. Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, who hast cast us off? And wilt not thou, O God, go forth with our hosts? Give us help from trouble. There's your tribulation, Jacob's trouble. For vain is the help of man. Through God, we, Israel, shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Stomping them like grapes in a wine vat. <laughs> See him there? Bible's an amazing book. Not always pleasant. You may not read this in your morning and evening tomorrow, but this is, uh, this is still Bible, right? Still Bible. Casting out the shoe is also a symbol of conquest, right? I'm going to stomp you out, stomp you down. That's what's going to happen to them. And then verse, go back to Obadiah. We'll look at uh, Obadiah 21. Last verse. In Obadiah 21, we see... An absolute glorious finish at the second coming of Christ. And there's one word in verse 21 that scholars choke on, trip on, stumble on, and try to help God out with. It says, And saviors, plural, shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Saviors with a lowercase s? At the second coming? When there's deliverance in Israel? I know the Savior is coming, Romans 11, 25 to 27, but Saviors, plural? Who is that? I'm looking at you. Amen. And say, the Bible says Saviors, plural, lowercase s, because we return with Jesus Christ and like Jesus Christ at the second advent. Savior, capital S, that's him. Savior, lowercase s, that's you. Christ, capital C, that's him. Little Christ, Christian, that's you. Right? Romans 8, 29, I'll write a few verses down. I was just going to mention, Romans 8, 29 says, we will be conformed to his image. Right? What's he talking about? That doesn't just mean you're going to have his attitudes. That means you're going to have his likeness, his body, his everything. Not just his spiritual, but his, you're going to be like him. <clears throat> Philippians 3.21 Philippians 3.21 says, we get a body, 
like unto His glorious body. We get a body, we conform to His image, Romans 8, 29. We get a body like unto His glorious body, Philippians 3, 21. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. What does that exactly mean? I don't know, Chris. I saw the band. I'm not 100% sure. Right? Are we all going to be 33-year-old men? Maybe. That's, that's, the, that's a teaching. That's, that may be true. But we're going to... Whatever like Him is, it's going to be good. <laughs> I'd rather be like Him than like me. I mean, don't we endeavor in our prayer closets, in our devotions, to be more like Christ? I'm happy one day God's going to finish the job. And you'll actually be like Him, spirit, soul, and body. You'll be completely like Him. And uh, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know what we're going to look like exactly. But, I, but it says, we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. When the Savior appears, you're going to be a Savior. Because Saviors appear at the second advent. Obadiah says it right there. Let's go to Revelation 19, though. Here you are. Here, here come the Saviors. Here they come, Revelation 19. Revelation 19.11. You thought I'd be done by 7.30. Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, there you are, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, clean and white, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall tread them with a rod of iron, as he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You're coming with him. That's when we come back with him. The Savior's with the Savior at the second advent. Now, if you remember, at the end of Obadiah, it said, the last phrase, it says, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. When does that happen? Revelation 11, verse number 15. Revelation eleven fifteen: The kingdom is the Lord's when the kingdoms are the Lord's. Amen. You got me? <laughs> There's a lot of... Did you notice on his head in Revelation 19 were many crowns? Josh sang the other day, crown him with many crowns. He's taken all those crowns, right? And in Revelation eleven fifteen, it's the end of the tribulation narrative, and it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in, in heaven, saying, The kingdoms, plural, of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom is the Lord's when the kingdoms are the Lord's. Amen? Let's go back to Obadiah. I'm going to give you two quick big ideas, okay? I'll leave you with some preaching thoughts. Obadiah 3. First big idea. This book is a warning against sinful pride and godless defiance. It's the first thing. A warning against sinful pride and godless defiance. He says in verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. 
You know why pride is so dangerous? Not because it makes you smell like Satan. Pride is so dangerous because it makes you think you're right when you're wrong. That's why people do stupid things when they're puffed up with pride because they think they're right when they're wrong and they don't see it and everybody else does. But they think they're right. Oh, they're all wrong. They don't understand. I'm different. You're wrong. You've crossed God. You've crossed His principles. You've crossed His counsel. You've crossed His ways. And pride has deceived you like it's deceived me. And that's why it's so destructive. And look what it does. It deceives you in verse 3. And then in verse 4, it destroys you. That's what it does. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, he says, I'm going to bring you down. Pride deceives you and then destroys you. He lifts you up to knock you down. That's why pride is so dangerous. That's why pride is something God hates so much. Not just for what it does to him, how it smells like Satan, but what it does to his people all the time. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Let's just see what God says about pride. Proverbs 8, look at verse 13. Let's look at how the Lord feels about pride first. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. But the first two are right there. Pride, arrogancy. God said, I hate those things. You don't fear me if you have those things. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 5. Just flip a few pages to the right. Everyone, just put your name there. Everyone that is proud in heart. Because you never be proud with your mouth. You know, you put on your, oh, not me. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And we put all that stuff on. But God knows what's in your heart. He knows if you're saying that just because you want to like look like voluntarily humble. The Bible warns against voluntary humility. Oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. Yeah, the one that often says I'm nothing, I'm nothing is the one you mark it down, probably thinks he's something. That's probably how it works, right? That, that's how it works. Because uh, I'm that guy. You know, go, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And God's like, yeah, you think you're something, right? Uh, Proverbs 16.5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He doesn't just hate it, it's abomination. Though hand joined in hand, he should not be unpunished. That's how the Lord feels about pride. It's an abomination. You ever look at the things God calls an abomination? Some pretty nasty sins. I don't want to be aligned with those things. Easier to get a guy or gal off drugs than to get her or him off pride. It's easy to get stuck on crack. It's a lot harder to get stuck off yourself. It's easy to get stuck off yourself and easy to get unstuck. Very hard to get unstuck. I'll say that right. Very hard to get unstuck. Very easy to get stuck on you. A lot of Christians are stuck on me and stuck on I. Their favorite song. They're in the mirror every day. Me, 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 my, 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 my. Right? That's, it's always me, 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 me. Right? That's how they tune up in the morning. Me, 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 me. That's all about them. Proverbs 16, 18. Here's how the Lord deals with pride. Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before fall. How about Proverbs 29, verse 23? I don't want to be proud. God delights in humility. He says, you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Be good at all of us. I'm sitting here repenting as I'm talking to you. The Lord's like, yep, that's for you, Pat. That's for you. That's yours. That's you. I got a thousand cuts as I'm talking to you right now. You know what? But... 
it would be good if all of us just get like Jacob. Lord, I'm weak and I'm frail and I can't do anything in my own strength. I can't deliver myself in the day of my distress. I got all this calamity around me. I need help, just like Israel knows they're going to need help one day. You know what God says? Oh, that smells good. I like that. What's that fragrance you got? Oh, humility. I like that. Did you get that next to the Chanel number five? Yeah. Mm. He likes that. The other stuff? Oh, I can do it. I'm good. God says, oh, you're wearing Lucifer number 14. Oh, man. That's Lucifer 1412. Oh, I hate that smell. <laughs> All right, keep going with me. I'm almost done. Proverbs 29, 23. I read it, right? Oh, I didn't read it. A man's pride shall bring him low. Bring you low. That's how the Lord deals with pride. He brings you down. So don't be like Esau. If Esau is the carnal Christian, don't be the carnal Christian who's too full of himself to repent. Don't be so full of yourself that you can't repent. Be like Jacob. Be weak. Be weak. Be frail. Be needy. I'm, I'm, I wish I was pretending. No, but be weak. Be frail. I am. All right? Did some, did some squats today, and I was like, oh, I haven't used those muscles in a while. I'm going to feel that tomorrow. But uh, the weak one is delivered. The proud one ends up doomed. The whole book is an illustration and an object lesson on how to feel about pride. The proud one, the man of the earth, the man of the field, the one who would sell out his birthright and sell out his blessing and just give it all up for a bowl of food is so full of himself that one day his people lose everything. And Jacob, who started off bad, ends pretty good. He gets everything. He's weak and he's walking with God. And secondly, let's go to Matthew 25. The second big idea, the second lesson of the book. The book is a warning against sinful pride and godless defiance. And the book warns you, and just like to leave one last note on that, when every good Christian around you is smelling smoke, and you keep saying there's no fire, that's a good sign that you're proud. All right? I mean, when everybody's smelling smoke, and you're like, there's no fire, your pride may be, you may be about to fall off your proverbial horse. You catch me? Like, that's, that's how you know you might be stuck on yourself and full of pride. If everybody around you, the preaching, the Bible, the verses are all, like, telling you one thing, and you're like, no, 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 that doesn't apply to me. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner here, <laughs> right there. And the second big idea... The book warns you against hating or harming God's people, specifically the nation of Israel. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, notice it's the holy angels that come back with Him, because some evil angels are not coming back with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. You know where you are right now, right? Hopefully, class, you know where we are. Second coming. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. We saw this in the book of Joel. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was an hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He's pointing out not the church. He's not pointing to his body. He's pointing to his brethren. Who are his brethren? The Jews. Right? He didn't point to himself and say, You did it to me, my body. No, we're his body. See, people take those verses and say, that's how you get to heaven. You just feed the poor and, you know, uh, clothe the naked and visit the people in prison. Those are all nice things to do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a blessing, but that's not how you get to heaven. You split hell like a bullet if you think that's the gospel to get you to heaven. No, that is a Jewish Messiah sitting on a Jewish throne judging Gentile nations for their admission into the kingdom as to how, whether or not, and how they treated a nation in the tribulation when they were hungry, when they were naked, when they were in prison. Because that's what is going to happen in the tribulation. They're going to be hungry, they're going to be naked, they're going to be sick, they're going to be in prison, and how you treat them Gentiles is how I'm going to treat you and whether I let you into the kingdom. It's not that hard. It's right there. It's right there. He talks about his brethren all the time. Go to my brethren. Go to my brethren. Go to my brethren, right? Hebrews talks about the Jews as his brethren, right? The firstborn among many, brethren. So that's that, right? So Jesus Christ is judging the nations after the tribulation on how they treated the Jew. Now, have you not read Genesis 36, which lists the descendants of Esau? They have no inheritance. The descendants of Esau inherit nothing. When God lists the the generations of Esau, the dukes and the regular guys, there's nothing written about them. There's no inheritance. Why? Because Esau doesn't get anything. Esau doesn't treat the Jews well. Esau doesn't inherit the kingdom prepared for my father because Esau is rejoicing to see Israel destroyed. See how it all starts coming together? And if you side with the Antichrist and turn against Israel in the tribulation, you lose your soul. 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left, Hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See that? That's not just going to hell. That's somebody's going to the lake of fire because you treated that Jew wrong. You should have taken care of them. You're not going in. You're going into a lake of fire. So in the Song of Solomon, you don't have to flip there, but Song of Solomon 8 verse 10, the bride is supposed to be a wall for Israel. He talks about a little sister, right? And that's supposed to be like Israel. Right? She's got no milk. The Bible says she has no breast. Right? So she's got, she doesn't have the word of God right now. And she's supposed to be, I know it was awkward to say as much as it was to hear. But you know, uh, I, had to, I had to put it in there. But you know what? He says, I got this little sister and I'm supposed to be, he says, I'm a wall round about her. 
We're supposed to be a protection and a blessing for Israel. We're supposed to be praying for them, having mercy on them, long-suffering with them, not persecuting them, not mocking them, not joining in with this crowd. So let's never get caught in the current of this world that hates God's little nation. Let's never be like Esau in this endeavor, that we might be blessed in this life. Amen? Amen. All right. That's all I got. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for being here.